there's a town in southwest Virginia nearly unchanged by time. And uh, we say, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in Freeze today, you're lucky enough. Freeze, Virginia was once a bustling Appalachian mill town focused on cotton, community, and country music. He created this boom of recording musicians right here in this little pocket. That changed when the mill closed in the 1980s, becoming a shell of its former self. And for people who had built their lives around this institution, suddenly they had to find another way of interacting with the world. But dedicated locals are spinning new ideas and dreams into existence. In this episode of Hometown Stories, a look at how Freeze is using its past to guide its future, hoping to weave a new chapter into its unique story. We enjoy people coming, and we like to embrace them, and we like to get them back. It's a packed house in the Freeze Community Theater, and Josh Beckworth is readying the strings of his banjo. He's joined on stage by his wife on the upright bass, a brother-in-law on guitar, and a friend on fiddle. Beckworth is here to play, for sure. But more importantly, he wants to educate. We need to always remember that if you're going to listen to country music, if you're going to listen to old-time music or bluegrass music, there ain't no place you could go to listen to it better than Freeze, Virginia. Yeah! From here, he lets the music do the talking. The 2022 Freeze Music Heritage Festival is now in full swing. Toe tappers seated in the audience keep time, and a few with the most restless legs take to the dance floor to clog. Arms loose at their sides, they begin to stomp, scuff, and shuffle across the room, adding their own percussion to the string band. Apart from the modern clothing and the people whipping out their cell phones to snap photos, Backworth says you likely could have walked into the Freeze Theater a hundred years ago to the same exact scene. It's almost like a historical museum. You could take Henry Witter out here and drop him at this door and he could find anything in Freeze he wanted to see. Backworth is an English teacher, musician, and historian with a focus on the birth of country music and one of its foremost pioneers, Henry Witter. He created this boom of recording musicians right here in this little pocket. Freeze is a small, remote town nestled along the New River in Grayson County, Virginia. Back in the 1800s, it was almost completely rural, once known to local families as Bartlett Falls. But it was here at the start of the 20th century that Colonel Francis Henry Freeze, future president of Wachovia Bank, would secure an act of Congress to dam the river and build a textile mill, one that would sustain this town for the better part of the next century. Freeze is uniquely unique. <laughs> it's a mill town, an Appalachian mill town. There's just not a lot of those. As part of his plans to build up the mill, the colonel built about 300 homes, a company commissary, a post office, and they brought in the railroad. A bank, churches, schools, the theater, and a community center were to follow. Soon, the town was booming, and so was the Washington Mill. The mill owned everything. 
They owned the housing, they owned the school, they owned the jail, they owned all the shops, they employed everyone in town, they owned the churches. <laughs> I mean, literally every aspect of life that you can imagine, the mill had their fingers in, for better or worse. That's why today, Elizabeth Pittman has been able to open an incredible window into life and freeze. She's a project processing archivist. I really like the idea of rummaging through other, other people's things, but with permission, and kind of surfacing those most interesting historical nuggets that most people would never think were there or, you know, know existed. A few years ago, her department at Virginia Tech received a grant to document and catalog files left behind after the mill closed in the 1980s. And some of those records offer a remarkably detailed view of average life in an isolated mill town. You know, there was a little boy who was injured in a mill accident and there was a lawsuit about it. And there was a man who was run out of town because he was drunk too often. And you know, you, you get these little, these little windows into just a totally foreign way of living. And it's fascinating and it's wonderful. And there are some things that are very sad, like that little boy, they lost their case. And so he was permanently disabled and there was nothing his parents could do about it. But you also get letters from nosy neighbors kind of reporting to the mill what their neighbors are up to. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's fascinating not only that someone, you know, wrote to the mill superintendent to say like, oh, you know, my neighbor's no better than she ought to be. She's, she's having strange men over at night and, you know, you should do something about that. Not only that the letter was written, but that the mill kept it, that they thought that that was important information to have. <laughs> In a section of the Newman Library on the Virginia Tech campus, Pittman lays out a few boxes on the table in front of us filled with records and cloth samples made at the mill. She says that for a time, the mill actually paid workers in scrip or mill money to be spent in mill stores. The mill would fix up your house, collect your church tithes, and design public spaces. I will never get over just how involved they were in every detail of life in this town, down to picking the wallpaper in the community center. They were that invested. <laughs> Pittman says she's actually heard stories about the mill sending town police to rummage through people's garbage to make sure they weren't drinking too much. And they pushed for wedding bells when they heard about unwed mothers. A local named Alan Jennings, who penned a book about growing up in Freeze, called the mill a benevolent dictator. He wrote, it could control your life from the cradle to the grave, from the time the company doctor delivered you until you were buried in the town cemetery in a donated company lot. And, you know, that, that wasn't all self-serving. It was because this town was by itself in many ways, and they relied on each other in a very deep way that most communities now couldn't even begin to replicate. And I think they took that very seriously. It's that sense of community that Beckworth says gave musician Henry Witter a chance to shoot his shot. One day, a while back, Beckworth was at his grandma's house, and he rummaged through some old records that were headed for the trash. But I kept running into songs I knew. So there was uh, like uh, Nine Pound Hammer, 
and Little Maggie and Tom Dooley and Handsome Molly. And I kept seeing these records of songs that I could play, but I'd never heard of the band, but they were all the same band, Grayson and Witter. Interest sufficiently peaked, Beckworth began a deep dive into music history. He says Henry Witter worked in the Washington Mill and Freeze and played music when he wasn't working. And if we're just being really frank here, Beckworth says Witter was actually a, a, a pretty terrible musician. And if you hear Henry Witter, he's terrible. I mean, if you listen to those early records, he's no good. He can't play the guitar, he just beats the chords, his sing, singing's awful. And so people just kind of discounted him. They've just said, well, he's a joke, you can't play it. But what Witter lacked in talent, he made up for in gumption. He took his guitar and his ambition, and he went to a New York City recording studio. Walked into this office that nobody had invited him into and said, I want to make records. And for some reason, they let him do that. And those records ended up being popular because there was no market at the time. He was the country music market. Everybody made fun of him. They, his, the, his boss over here at the Washington Mill said, Henry, you are going to come walking back down those rail tracks. You will never make it. You will not, nobody's going to make this record. And, but he was the first one to do it. If he hadn't done it, nobody else would have, or at least around here. Beckworth says the music people were playing in Freeze that Witter brought to the masses was a melting pot of regional sounds and stories. That's how Witter ended up recording his version of The Wreck of the Old 97 in the 1920s, a popular song of the time inspired by a real train wreck in Danville, Virginia. It was not a credible music form. It was not something people recorded. It was not something you can make money at. It'd be like playing the kazoo to us today. It's like something people do, but nobody looks at a kazoo player and saying, you know, this is something here. This could be an industry. That's kind of how it was. It's, you know, that it was just something that people did that, uh, you know, to entertain themselves, entertain the community, but real musicians didn't do this. Real musicians could read music. Real musicians could sing in Italian. Real musicians could, you know, they had to be part of a musician's union. So there was just a wall you couldn't get over. And Henry Witter was the first person to just say, that is, they will make a record because of money. And the mill town, I don't think has gotten enough credit as the uh, originator of country music that it deserves. We're still kind of stuck in this stereotypical, the Carter family's the classic story. They come out of a holler, you know, they've lived in isolation. They've got all these songs that are old. But really, I think the mill town deserves as much, if not more, importance for how role it plays. So Freeze, because it is a mill town, I think needs to get a lot of interest and scrutiny about for that reason. You can come here and experience much of what life was like. Uh, 70, 80, 100 years ago, because the buildings are ultimately the same, the town is ultimately the same, but the feel is very similar as well. We enjoy people being here, and uh, we say, if, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to be in Freeze today, you're lucky enough. Denny Brooms is what I'd call the unofficial ambassador to Freeze. He grew up there, moved away, came back, and has served on the board of the community center. We met the first time I drove to Freeze in 2018, when Virginia Tech got that archive grant. He's kept in touch ever since, greeting me at every visit into town. 
We enjoy people coming and we like to embrace them and we like to get them back. That's why Brooms is involved in events like this music festival at the Freeze Theater and neighboring community center to preserve a little bit of what he grew up with and to pass it on to the next generation. So I think our opportunity for uh, documenting what has happened in the past, I think it's better now than it's ever been. Brooms knows two versions of Freeze. There's the Freeze from his childhood, growing up in the mill life, playing baseball, activities at the YMCA, a tightly knit community. There were thousands of people in town employed. There were businesses. There was a high school. And slowly, as the mill left, things began to trickle down. And now we look at uh, almost half of our population in the winter going somewhere, you know, snowboarding. Today, Broom says that in the summer, the population won't reach over a thousand people. It's far different from the days before the mill left town for good. And this one is slightly sad. This is the memo that closed the mill. Oh, wow. Can you read it? Yes. So this was in 1973. This was the beginning of the end for the mill. Um, and it says, effective today, March 30th at 3 p.m., all knitting operations will cease at the freeze plant. All machinery will be moved out or is in the process of being moved out. All personnel are transferred, effective this date. And so that is half of what the mill did. They did knits and they did woven material. And in 1973, they decided that it would be better to switch to only doing woven materials, which is why all of the textile examples I showed you earlier, those are all woven, none of those are knit. And then in the next 10 years, they would close the rest of the mill permanently. WDBJ7 archive footage shows a boarded up mill and quiet Main Street. There's an undercurrent of optimism stirring through these quiet streets. The mill is still vacant and local jobs practically non-existent, but about 60 miles away right now, does it make you think about what a gut punch that must have been to the community at that time? Yes. Um, a lot of the people in town were convinced for a long time that it wasn't happening, that something would change, that the mill couldn't possibly leave because the town only existed because of the mill. A Washington Post article from September 19, 1988, detailed the closure of the mill with the headline, The Death of a Company Town. Reporter Jerry Knight wrote that what was once one of the richest school districts in southwest Virginia was now among its poorest, calling the town a tombstone for an absentee investor. And, you know, as the years and the decades went by and nothing happened, people began to lose hope and the town started to really die in a very significant way. People moved away for other opportunities and the town just kind of faltered. Today, a typical day in Freeze is still very quiet, but that's exactly what Nan Chase seems to like best. The big questions I got when I moved here were, where do you fly into? <laughs> and the answer was nowhere, because that's the whole point. Chase says she moved from Asheville, North Carolina, charmed by the quaint town, the community, and the quiet. She now lives in an old mill house. Driving into town, the main street brings you to the edge of a hillside where the rows of those mill houses sit clustered together. 
and on the other side is the New River, providing an arresting and picturesque mountain backdrop. There's still not much here in the way of business, but it is growing. Down the street is the post office, a dollar store, the farmer's market, a cafe, and an old train caboose that serves ice cream in the summer. The community center has a pool, a library, and duck pin bowling. There's still a baseball diamond, and the former railroad tracks have been transformed into the New River Trail State Park. The evening sky is beautiful. The sun sets over in the west, and suddenly it gets the stars pop out. Beautiful in the morning, it's beautiful in the evening. And I go out most afternoons and get on my porch and just take a sun bath. Chase and I are seated in the cafe with Denny Brooms and a few other people who have gathered to share their experiences. Some have lived here all their life, and some, like Chase, are outsiders who moved in. While their backgrounds are different, they all have one common goal. They want to bring Freeze back to life. People need a reason to come to discover Freeze, but, but we also have to be prepared when they do. And I think, mm. I think a lot of the groundwork has been done for that. I think, I think we'll grow. I think we'll learn some things as we go. Together, a group of dedicated locals is working to promote Freeze and its unique history through music, festivals, postcards, outdoor recreation, and even an Instagram account. They hope to keep the town's heritage alive, but also bring in some money to update its aging infrastructure. Well, a lot of the things that uh, the town deals with on a larger level is, you know, the plumbing and, and electrical. Everything is 100 years old, and everything has antiquated systems. So a lot of this is uh, being rebuilt and redone, some publicly and some privately. But a lot of times when I walk around town, you, you see these uh, narrow stairways going all over town where people used. It's not a ghost town here, but I, so, I sometimes try to imagine what it was like when the streets were filled with mm -hmm. kids and the workers going down to shop. And it must have been wonderful. And maybe it'll get back to that in a different way. In the late 90s, the last owner of the mill, Robert B. Pamplin, gave the dam and the power plant to Virginia Tech. The College of Business is now named for him and Pamplin Jr. But that's how the boxes of records left behind in the empty mill ended up at Virginia Tech. Pittman says the special collections team worked with the town to take official ownership of the materials in 2016. She says they respect the important job of stewardship they're now responsible for. In processing the archives, Pittman went to Freeze twice to show locals her work in progress, collect oral histories, and display photos and textiles the locals could see up close. And that was also something that the people who attended the events were extremely excited about because a lot of them didn't have any records of their work at the mill. They didn't have any examples of the, of the cloth that they made. And so being able to come in and show them and say, this was made in the mid-70s. If you worked in the mill in the mid-70s, you probably had something to do with this cloth. And a lot of people were, were I mean, there were a few people who got kind of emotional about it because that was their livelihood. And, you know, they, they hadn't thought at the time that it was ever going to go away. And so to have someone say, here, here, here's proof of your work, they were, some of them were, were quite moved, which was unexpected, but quite lovely. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done. 
some debates about how best to do it, and a price tag that, at times, seems insurmountable. But to those involved, freeze doesn't have to stay frozen in time. Just like the mill workers who came before them, they're hoping to weave their past and their present together to create something new. Well, I think you look at the history of freeze and preserving the history of freeze, you're preserving mill towns all around the, the South. And we have a lot of uh, mineral mining just in this area. We had a lot of cotton production. So there were so many similarities in these towns that if you save one, you save, in effect, something from all of them. Chances to hear music and freeze are plentiful. The historic theater hosts jams every Thursday night. The town is working on events for the year to come. You can keep up with them on Facebook, and you can find the digital archive exhibit online through Virginia Tech Special Collections. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelmi. We'll see you next time. <laughs>